What is going on, everyone? This is Zach back here with another episode of Clutch Crew Sports. I'm glad to be back. Uh, last week I had some technical problems, but happy to be Ooh. back on the podcast this week. I know, I know. I had to be producer Zach for a week, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we are one week away, guys, from the NFL season started. All of us are super excited about that. Um, finally, football is back. Feels like it's been so long for me as a Jags fan, finally have some optimism, uh, with the, with my favorite team. But, uh, the plan for tonight's episode, guys, we're going to talk about a couple, uh, various NFL topics, look at some key games over the weekend. We're also going to bring back season two of the lock board. So we're going to explain what all that means. If you don't know what that means the, when we say the lock board, and then also too, we're going to talk about some college football news because, Last year, college football was just a mess with COVID, and we're going to talk about all the expansion news that's been happening recently um, around college football. So hopefully that interests you guys, and hopefully you enjoy this episode. Now let me introduce you to the rest of the crew. What is going on, guys? It is Connor, the co-host with the most. And uh, just like Zach said, I'm super excited for football to be back. Um I know I'm going to be over at my dad's on Sunday so we can watch the uh, Steelers-Bills game. Hopefully the Bills don't end up beating us for the third year in a row because, unfortunately, the last two times I've gone over to his house for that, it hasn't ended well for me. Um, And also, you know, I'm kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum of Zach. You know, Zach's got optimism around his team. Not a whole lot of optimism around my team, but, hey, you never know. And what's up, guys? It's Nate here. Um, kind of touched on it in the uh, if you listen to the fantasy live stream last night, but I'm excited that the first week is finally here and we've got some real um, stuff to start talking about. So ready to get into it. All right, yeah, good stuff, guys. Um, so real quick, um, we're kind of going back to the traditional format of episodes that we did during the NFL season. So what that means. But we do have some few changes along with that. So uh, we're going to do Around the Shield, as always, to start out every episode. Basically, what that means is talking about various NFL topics. Um, It could be anything NFL news related. It could be reviewing games, previewing games, key games, talking about making predictions with uh, what, you know, panic indexes, that sort of stuff. This could be any number of NFL topics. Um, then the next thing we're going to do in every episode is a lock board. And I'm going to get to that later in the episode, what that means. Um, so we'll do the lock board in sort of the middle of the episode timeline. And then our third segment, uh, is really going to be up in the air this year. So it could be anything from extending our talking about around the shield. So it could be an extended version of that. Just maybe there's so much going on in the NFL. We, we just have too much to talk about um it could be around the ncaa and talking about anything in the world of college football that's what we're doing on this episode tonight um or it could be uh, around the hoop which is our nba segment so when the nba season kicks back up uh whatever news trades things are going on with that um it could be around the hoop so those are the different possibilities of the episodes that we're going to have so I just wanted to kind of clarify that because up until now we'd been doing just kind of random episode, random different topic episodes, but we're really going to try and stick to this 
uh, format of episodes so you guys have more you know familiarity with what to expect on each episode so if you hear us say around the shield around the hoop lockboard like that's those are our big things that we've just titled it um basically so Hopefully you guys enjoy that. We need to get the editing department to, uh, you know, get some intros for those. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So um, let's go ahead and start, guys, with the first Around the Shield for 2021. And uh, we have two topics to discuss today, and then we're going to discuss three NFL games for week one. So the first topic that I want to discuss, and I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts on it, because I feel like every year we do some version of talking about the preseason in week one. So we're keeping that tradition alive. Um, we've done everything from debates on like, should the preseason exist? Like, that's really mainly what we've talked about before. Um, and then last year was like, oh, how's it going to be with no preseason? Like, is the is the quality of play going to be worse? And then this year we had a preseason of three games, which was different. Um, so the thing that I really want to talk about here is the st- different styles that coaches have been taking with the preseason. And to me, it's not the, there's some extreme examples of what you might not expect with when it comes to playing starters in the preseason. And I'll give you some examples for that guys. So you have the chiefs and the bucks, two teams that were in the super bowl last year. Obviously they won the AFC. They won the NFC really stacked teams are still good teams still expecting to, you know, make Super Bowl runs. Both of them have that that sort of expectations this season. And yet they still started and played their starting offenses and their starting QBs. And in the Buccaneers case, Tom Brady, he's like, what, 44 years old or something. So you have a 44-year-old who's willing to take snaps and play in a meaningless preseason game, obviously risking that sort of injury that could happen with that. But... He obviously, despite winning the Super Bowl and despite how long he's been in the league, feels like he needs reps in the preseason to play. And then you have the former MVP and Patrick Mahomes, who basically leads the stats in the NFL and is considered the best quarterback by pretty much everybody. He's playing in the preseason along with his starting offense, even though they've been like the best offense for the past three seasons. Um, So that's one extreme example of teams, really good teams that are playing starters in the preseason to get reps and to establish an offense. And then on the complete opposite side, you have the two LA teams, the chargers and the Rams. And in their cases, they either have second year quarterbacks um, with the chargers or brand new quarterback with the LA Rams healthy right now. So it's not like they're coming into the preseason where they physically can't play. They're healthy enough to play, but they're just not taking reps. They're not taking snaps in the preseason because their coaches are just ultra conservative when it comes to the preseason. They don't want to show any of their offense. They don't want to show, you know, film, potential film against themselves for the regular season start. And they're just super concerned about injuries and everything. So they're just taking the approach that we're basically just going to have the preseason for the bubble roster spots and the backup players. And that's all it's going to be used for. So those are, and then every other team is somewhere along the scale. You know, you have teams that are pretty traditional when it comes to playing starters in the preseason. You have teams 
some teams that play more starters, some teams that play less, but those are just kind of the examples of the extremes this year. So um, I do have a pretty strong opinion about this, guys, and I think... Am I going to disagree with it? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm going to say the, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, follow what the two teams that went to the Super Bowl. I would, if I was a team... I would do exactly what the Bucks and the the Chiefs did. I mean, you. I think it's really important to establish some sort of offensive uh, identity going into the season. At least just getting some confidence and reps with the QBs and the receivers, the offensive line, starting offensive line, being out there together. You don't have to play a whole game. You just play a couple series. You know, in the big game, maybe go a quarter and a half or two quarters or whatever. Um, you're not obviously showing all your trick plays. You're not doing anything super fancy. You're not, you know, you're not taking risks, injury risks by like quarterbacks diving for the first down or something like that. Like you're playing it safe, but you're also trying to, you know, get something established here because it's been a long off season and this is your first live competition. Yeah. You go up against each other in training camp, but you know, quarterbacks can't get hit in the training camp. And you're going against the same team every time. It's just, it's not the same as an actual live game. So in my opinion, the teams that have followed more what the Chiefs and the Bucks did this year, I think will get more of a benefit, especially at the start of the season. As the season goes on, this preseason is going to mean less and less. But I think starting out the first couple of weeks, it is going to be a big, a bigger advantage to those teams compared to the Rams and Chargers where they're not, you know, established offenses like Green Bay, for example. It'd be, like, understandable if Green Bay didn't play much of their offense like they did because they brought everybody back and they were a really good team. But with these teams, you know, they're they're new offenses and very young offenses, so the preseason matters even more than that. So I guess, Connor, do you agree with that uh, or do you disagree? <laughs> Actually, I do agree with you. Um I mean, I, in my opinion, you really need to get some reps for your starters in the preseason. And honestly, for me, it just depends on, you know, I mean, really, you're, if you're talking about quarterbacks here, like it depends on who it is. Like, you know, if they're a veteran quarterback, like you said, like Tom Brady or Ben Roethlisberger or Aaron Rodgers, or if they're like a superstar quarterback like Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, then, yeah, I say like, you know, maybe just one like a quarter and a half or something like that in one of the games. And then, you know, that that's maybe it, um, especially with the three preseason games. Now, if there was still four, then I think maybe a little bit more than that, but with the three, then yeah, I agree like a quarter and a half, maybe in one of those games, just to be out there. Um, and then maybe if it's a second year quarterback uh, or a rookie quarterback, someone like Justin Herbert or Trevor Lawrence, then maybe they get more reps, you know, maybe play for like, you know, maybe like in their first game, they play like a quarter or something and then there's, and then play a second game where they play like a half or something. And then that's it. Um, obviously no full games or anything, but yeah, I think it does baffle me a little bit that teams, like you said, like the chargers and the Rams have decided not to play their starters at all. Cause really, I mean, you don't want your first, you know, real experience of running your first team offense in week one. Like you really don't want that. Um, we've seen what it, what's happened before. I mean, we saw, you know, week one last year was a little bit ugly because of the no preseason. And, you know, I think that really stemmed from, again, like running your offense for the first time in week one of the regular season. 
I mean, because obviously you don't have to go out there like Zach said. You don't have to go out there and take any risks. You know, I mean, like you're not going to see like if Lamar Jackson plays or if Kyler Murray plays, like they're not going to be having a bunch of runs, you know, that is going to put them in trouble. Or if they do run, then they're probably going to slide like, you know, three yards before they normally would in a regular game. Um, And then, like I said, and also with your offense, you know, you don't have to run any crazy trick plays or anything to, you know, give the other team film or anything just run something basic you know just you know basic runs basic pass patterns you know just get into the feel of the game because if you don't then i feel like you're going to start really slow like zach said um you know it'll be interesting to see how the rams and chargers do in week one because i mean you know the chargers they're going up against a really good defense in week one so um you know i don't know if it's going to be a good news for them the fact that they haven't even run their first team offense yet um, the Rams have a little bit easier time in week one going against the Bears, but, you know, we've seen crazier things happen in week one. Like week one is if you want to make upset picks, week one is always the time to do it. So, um, but yeah, I definitely agree with you, Zach. That's my opinion. All right. We agree on something. Let's Woo! go. <laughs> <laughs> and then Nate, do you agree at all with us or do you have um, a different opinion? Yeah, so no, I, I'm basically on the same same page there. I mean, I understand why teams um, limit some of that in preseason because they want to keep guys from getting hurt, like unnecessarily, obviously, in games that don't matter. But um, I agree with you guys. I think it's important to get those reps in. Uh, what they do in training camp is great, but um, I think it's, you know, important to have your guys up to, like, game speed so you hit the ground running in week one instead of waiting for, you know, week two or three to be up to speed and by then you could have lost two games already that might have gone differently so i'm I'm on the same page there all right good stuff guys we all agree um (laughs) and then now for a second topic here i'll let connor introduce this um basically the question is going to be surrounding covid obviously the c word i guess i should say well it's Um, already been said so we i know (laughs) we're canceled um (laughs) Uh, but basically, our question is basically about um, is this going to be more of a concern this year than it was last year? We know last year there was lots of outbreaks, but no games got canceled. So what do you think is going to happen? I guess I'll let Connor start out with this. So I definitely think that, you know, when it comes to what's going on with this, that if I had to talk about its impact, I think the, you know, people testing positive and everything and all that jazz happening, like people having to sit out games, I think that's going to be a lot less this year just because the NFL is at like 93% vaccination rate. So, you know, most players who do get it are going to be vaccinated. So they're not going to have like, you know, the super long, like quarantine time that, that all the players had to have last year when they got, uh, when they tested positive. Um, But also, so that I don't think is going to be as prevalent, but I think the consequences are definitely going to be way more prevalent this year or have a bigger impact um, on what happens. Because, you know, I know, Zach, you shared with me that list of things that, you know, the differences between vaccinated and unvaccinated players like vaccinated players, they basically just get to live their normal life pretty much. You know, they get to do everything they do in a normal season. They can hang out with their teammates. They can you know, go travel places, they can hang out with their family, they can, you know, you know, have team bonding moments, I guess, you know, because they can go into the weight room with all their teammates. Um, You know, they can go in and do like ice baths with their teammates, they can do everything with their team, they can eat meals with their team. 
Um, whereas the unvaccinated players, they have a lot more restrictions on them. Like they can't eat meals with anybody else. They pretty much have to do individual workouts um, when they're in the weight room. Like I think the limit when someone who uh, who's unvaccinated is in there is like 15. Everyone has to be, you know, they have to socially distance. They have very limited chances. They can't really go and see their family. Um, you know, they kind of have to stay in like private hotel rooms, basically. It's just they it's a cramp in their lifestyle, I guess I would say, as an NFL player. And I think that's going to have a big effect on some people. Like, I think a lot of these players who aren't vaccinated, they're not really realizing the full scope of these consequences until we really get into the season. Like Ryan Tannehill was actually one of the ones that I saw came out with this, saying that the NFL is going to do everything they can to make life really hard for people who are unvaccinated to convince them to get vaccinated. Um, because also, you know, the penalties are going to be huge as, you know, if you look on the screen here, like teams, they are introducing now that if a team, if someone who's like unvaccinated or something causes an outbreak, kind of like what happened with the Ravens last year or like the Titans last year, then the NFL has said, we're not rescheduling any games like, if you cannot play a game because of COVID problems, then you are going to have to forfeit that game. And that could be a huge problem, especially for some of these teams. Like, especially if it happens late in the season and a team's fighting for a playoff spot. And then, you know, you think like, oh, man, we have to win this game. And then you don't even get a chance because one of your unvaccinated players caused an outbreak and then you had to forfeit the game. Like, you know, no one's going to want that. And I think we are and we talked about this a little bit on the live stream last night where, you know, teams are really weary of signing Cam Newton right now because he's not vaccinated. And so you don't want to bring another unvaccinated player into your team that could potentially cause problems that could cause you to forfeit the game or pay, you know, financial penalties because, you know, you had some he went out and did something stupid and caught covid and now you're screwed. Um, so and obviously, you know on the screen here, we have a couple of like notable unvaccinated players like Deandre Hopkins and Cole Beasley have been very vocal about it. Um, Chase Young has been less vocal, but I know he's also not vaccinated. So, and that's another thing, even if you don't cause your team to forfeit, you know, you're not going to be there. Like how is what, what's the Arizona Cardinals offense going to look like without Deandre Hopkins? Like that's a major weapon you're losing. You know, you're cause you're really hurting your team, in my opinion, by not getting vaccinated with all the penalties and all the consequences. It's just at this point, like, I don't understand why anyone like, like why no everyone doesn't just go ahead and do it. Um, so that's my opinion. Like I said, I think if I'm going to sum up my your quite my answer to your yeah. question about the impact, like I said, I think players testing positive and players missing games, we're going to see less of. But the consequences themselves are going to have a much bigger impact this year. Because last year it was just kind of like, eh, you know, whatever. They're sitting out the game. Like, it's not that terrible, but we'll just reschedule the game. Like, it's fine. It doesn't matter. But this year the NFL is like, no, we're not changing anything. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this works, you know, going into the season. And how long it takes for some of these unvaccinated players to go, man, like, this sucks when I'm having to do, I can't have fun with everybody else. Like maybe I should go and get that vaccine. Yeah. And I'll kind of say um, a different angle to this. Cause I actually think this is going to be a worse problem than it was last year for not necessarily because there's going to be more positive cases or not. But I think, um, I think even though there's 93% something vaccinated rate in the NFL with players, 
there's the like you said when you were reading the rules it's basically like normal life for nfl players there's no longer the you know if you're vaccinated there's no longer the the public shame if like you're out and about like around town like there was last year if you saw like someone at a party it was like a big deal whereas like now if someone's at a party if they're vaccinated it's like you know whatever but because of that there's still the risk of them testing positive even with the vaccine i think and then because um because the testing protocols for vaccinated players are not every day I think there's a chance that a vaccinated player, someone like Zach Martin, who is vaccinated, tested positive, he's now out for week one uh, for the Cowboys on Thursday night. Um, There's a chance that something like that can happen and it goes undetected. And then it's obviously more likely that those unvaccinated players on the team would catch it from him, even with all the, you know, social distancing and stuff that there is like there's still the vaccines, the best defense. Um, so who, who knows how long a team could have COVID? Um, obviously there are certain regions of the country that have it worse than others. So I think that's another angle to look at is you see some, uh, some cities have way worse COVID problems than other cities do. So, um, even like a team like Tampa, where I think they're hundred percent vaccinated, but they still have to take it seriously because Tampa is obviously, you know, a city with a high COVID transmission rate. So I think the vaccine obviously adds a layer of defense that there wasn't last year, but also to the the way that the rules are set up, I think. And then, like you said, there's no, you know, these forfeits are a real thing now. So I think that could come into play, uh, whereas it didn't at all last year. So that's my stance on it. But, uh, Nate, what do you think about this? I know it's... Uh, real tricky subject to, you know, think about, but, uh, where do you, what do you think about COVID the vaccines, the anti-vax players, like all these things going around? Yeah. I mean, I basically agree with what, all of what you guys are saying. I, mean, I think it's different when it comes to, um, like NFL players versus like everyday, um, people, you know, obviously it's like, you know, I know why they don't have like a mandate on it is everyone's like right to choose their, you know, health and all that but I think in the NFL I I do think it is kind of like being a good teammate to go and get it because it's like like we guys basically explain with all the protocols and um, all the extra stuff that it just really hurts your team if you know if you do test positive for COVID and you don't have the vaccine it's like you gotta you know sit out and go through all this extra stuff and especially like you know you see the guys on the slide here like you know if DeAndre Hopkins catches um, COVID and even if he doesn't get sick from it, but he still has to sit out for a couple weeks because he's unvaccinated, that, you know, that could be two uh, losses for the Cardinals right there just because, you know, not having the guy of that caliber on the field um, could hurt them that bad. So it's, to me, it's kind of, you know, it's almost like, you know, being a bad teammate, I guess, at this point, like, you know, don't get it and um, helps, I guess, you know, first of all, it keeps everyone safe. And then second of all, like you guys already kind of touched on, it's, um, you know, this makes it, it's one less thing, I guess, for your team to worry about, you know, being without guys in certain weeks and unexpected situations and all that. So, yeah, I think you guys basically kind of covered most of what I was going to say. Okay. I, I agree with all that. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the, you know, this COVID discussion for week one. 
I know last year we were we you know nobody had any idea on how it was going to end up going, and then we we start hearing the first you know outbreaks happening like Tennessee, Baltimore, and stuff like that. The first games being rescheduled, it was a big deal. You know now we know what happened last year. It's going to be interesting, I think, to see uh, how that plays out this year with the you know unvaccinated it's and everything like that. What you know a star quarterback missing a game because of covid like you know we saw the broncos had no quarterbacks last year because of covid you know so that was basically a forfeit so it's going to be real interesting this is another year of uncertainty with player status uh, right before games uh, players could test positive and then that makes a huge impact on the game so uh, that'll we'll end the discussion on that there and go into some week one game preview so uh, basically, we've just kind of highlighted three key uh, big games to watch. These are being probably national national TV games and games of interest. So I'll go ahead and let Connor start with the first game uh, that we've picked from. Connor, are you there? Yeah, so I've already kind of alluded to this a little bit. Um but I'm going to be over at my dad's house on Sunday watching Steelers and Bills. This time it's going to be in Buffalo. Last two times it's been in Pittsburgh. Um, honestly, I think this is going to be... I think this game looked like it was going to be better until maybe some more recent developments. Um, the Steelers are going to be going into this game a little bit undermanned from what I know of. Um, Stefan Tua and Zach Banner have both been put on IR, so... That's one of our starting tackles and one of our starting defensive linemen are going to be out. And then I know the biggest question mark for this game right now is TJ Watt because they're still trying to work out the contract with him. And there's a possibility that if they don't get the contract worked out, that he's not going to play week one, which would be a huge blow to the Steelers defense. Um, You know, obviously that's your best player. So not having him out there would hurt. I mean, I know they're trying to do everything they can do from what I've heard. Like, the basic bones of the deal are done, like, you know, the years and the money, but basically what is really keeping TJ from signing is the guaranteed money. I guess he's not getting enough uh, guaranteed money in the deal. So hopefully the Steelers can work that out. Um, You know, there's still a week to go. So um, try and work that out. But if TJ Watt misses this game, then honestly um, it's going to be really bad for the Steelers, but I think it's a good test for the Buffalo bills. I think this is one of those games that, you know, the Bills are obviously, they have Super Bowl aspirations, you know, being the runners-up in the AFC last year. Um, and they really need to get their season off on a strong foot. You know, they really want to get, Josh Allen really wants to get off to a good start, um, possibly start an MVP campaign. That de- And especially since he's going against a quality defense, um, you know, especially if T.J. Watt is out there. Like, the Steelers' defense is still very good. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how well they can run that offense if they can get the passing game going, maybe try to establish a run game because that was their Achilles heel in the playoffs. Um, you know, get that two headed monster with Singletary and Zach Moss. Um, and also just for the Steelers, like this is kind of, kind of be, in my opinion, like this is going to set the tone for the Steelers season. Like, is this going to be a season where, you know, we're going to finally accept that man, you know, we've had a really good run, but this is just not going to be the year. Like we're finally going to, have a mediocre season or 
are we going to come out in week one and look like a team that no one expected and really give a fight to the Bills? Because the Steelers don't need to win this game, in my opinion, to really set the tone for a potential good season. Because again, the Bills are, they have Super Bowl hopes. This is a really tough week one game going into Buffalo. You know, no one expects the Steelers to win this game. But if they can come out of it, like let's say the Bills win like, you know, say like 35 to 28 or something like that. Um, you know, the Steelers are in it the whole game, then that's a good sign for the Steelers. Um, but if I had to give a prediction, I do, um, you know, this is how you know I'm not biased. I am going to pick the Buffalo Bills to win this game. Um, like I said, the Steelers, that offense has too many question marks. Also, the potential of not having TJ Watt is huge. Um, but even if TJ Watt plays, I still think the Bills win this game. They're just too good. Um, you know, like I said, I think the Steelers can hang with them, but on the road in Buffalo week one, it's not, it's not going to happen, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. So that's, um, that's the first game preview. Let me go ahead and look at the second one, which is going to be the Browns at the chiefs. So this is definitely a, a game to watch in my opinion. Uh, should be like a four o'clock game. I'm assuming Browns and chiefs. They met in the playoffs last year. It came down to the wire. Chiefs won. This is my AFC championship matchup. Um, the things that I'm looking for in this game on the Chiefs side, at least, is just the offensive line. Because we know we know how their defense is. Uh, didn't change a whole lot. We know how their the rest of their offense is. But it's the offensive line. All those new offensive linemen, how do they look against a pretty good Cleveland D-line? It's going to be real interesting to see if Cleveland has the same sort of success that Tampa had against them in the Super Bowl, and if they do, uh, Cleveland has a real shot at getting the upset in this. I could see this game going either way, mainly because of the unprovenness of Kansas City's new offensive line. Um, And then on Cleveland's aspect, I want to see how their offense looks. Um, I want to see, does Baker play as well as he did towards the end of the season? Are they still going to be run heavy with Chubb and Hunt. How does Odell Beckham fit coming back now into the lineup after missing last season? Just, I'm real, just real curious to see how the Cleveland offense looks um, against this Kansas city defense. I think it'll be a close game, but ultimately I'm going to pick the chiefs to win just because I feel like right now they're the better team. Yeah. I do have the Browns winning the super bowl, obviously like I still am standing by that, but for this game in Kansas City, in Arrowhead, that's obviously one of the toughest places to play. So I'm going to give the edge to KC in this matchup and predict them to win. Nate, go ahead and introduce our third game preview and talk about that matchup. Yeah, so um, like Connors, uh, this is a game that I obviously have personal interest in, but um, Patriots versus Dolphins. Um, should be an interesting game for a lot of reasons. Um, the Pat, I mean, both teams really are coming out of um, kind of a rebuilding phase. They both um, spent, you know, basically the last year kind of making acquisitions and hopefully getting the roster where each of those coaches want. Um, so I think this is the first game towards um, really seeing what they're going to look like this year. There's a lot of question marks uh, for both teams. Really, like how how is Mac Jones going to look in his first full game for the Pats? Um, can Tua take? Uh, step forward for the Dolphins. Um, so really, there's a lot um, going on. It's kind of hard to make a prediction. 
Um, I picked the Pats uh, in my um, personal picks um, for this week. I do think they'd have more talent um, all around, but at the same time, I think um, this Dolphins roster has spent a little bit more time playing together, some of those people. Um, the Pats have a lot of free agents and uh, new players there, so that could be uh, potentially an issue for them. But I think overall, this is a really interesting uh, match. Not so much in the sense that it's going to be like you know game of the year or anything like that, but in the sense that we're going to see two teams that um, you know could potentially look a lot different than they did last year. So I'll be really curious to watch that, especially as a fan, but um, just in general should be interesting. So I guess before we move on, I'll give, because I will say for the first two games, we all picked Buffalo and we all picked KC, but for this game, um, I know Zach is going the same as Nate taking New England, but I'm actually different on this one. I'm taking the Dolphins. um, And I'm kind of taking the Dolphins, I guess, for the reason maybe a little bit of the reason like what Nate was alluring to how this team has been together longer and the Patriots, they're like a brand new team this year. I mean, with all the free agents and all the roster moves they made, like I feel like this team, I mean, it's going to take more than a preseason in my opinion for this team to like get going. Like they're really going to have to, you know, develop that chemistry. And I definitely think it's going to take a week. I definitely think it'll still be close. But I think what's going to win out in the end for the Dolphins, you know, obviously it's tough, you know, going week one into Gillette. Um, you know, it's never easy going into <laughs> all these like three home games that we picked are all three really tough stadiums to go and play in. Um, but like I said, I just think the experience of the Dolphins being together longer and also, you know, while I don't think Tua is the greatest quarterback in the world, he at least has NFL experience, whereas this is going to be Mac Jones's first game as an NFL quarterback. And, you know, I just I'm a little concerned about how well he's going to do. So I'm going to actually take the Dolphins in this game and be the odd one out on this one. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, All right. So that's going to wrap up around the shield today. And let's get into the lock board, guys. So um, I'll preface this by saying if you listened last year and you remember what our version of the lock board was, it's very similar to what it was, but there are some changes to it. And if you have no idea what the lock board was from last season, um, I'll just kind of explain the basics of it and then talk about how it's going to work. So what the lock board is, is we look at um, money line or we look at spreads um, game spreads for the NFL college football and the NBA So each week um, there's games going on and there's favorites. So example for this week with the games that we talked about, let's say Steelers and Bills, let's say Bills are, I don't know, five and a half point favorite or something like that. Well, here we Um, already have the line for the Bucks and Cowboys since it's on Thursday. So the Bucks are eight point favorites. Okay, there you go. Bucks are eight point favorites on Thursday night. Basically, um, that means that the Bucks are heavy favorites. Uh, they're project they're projected to win by more than a touchdown according to betters. So uh, our version of making predictions, we do make individual game predictions straight up who wins, but we also want to add a challenge to it and pick upsets essentially. And that's what the lock board is. So for an example on that, um, let's say one of us thinks Dallas is gonna win the game. 
outright. We think Dallas is going to straight up beat Tampa, but they're such heavy underdogs. That's a good lockboard pick. And there's a scoring system, and the scoring system has changed a little bit. So I'll go ahead and run through this. Just picking an outright winner, example, Chiefs versus the Jets, you know, just the best team versus the worst team. Uh, you want to just be safe, you can pick the Chiefs, and that's only one point because you're picking a safe game. Uh, basically, any team that's a favorite is considered a one-point pick. Then the next tier is going to be worth two points, and that's any underdog uh, between half a point and three points. So these are underdogs that, yes, they're underdogs, but they're slight underdogs. So it's not too crazy to see them winning a game. I mean, it's, it's kind of like it's kind of like the Patriots yeah. and Dolphins this week. Like the yeah. Dolphins are probably slight underdogs if I had to guess when the spread comes out. Yeah, and then that's going to be worth two points. So you got a little bit more, nothing crazy. Because that's not a crazy difference in the spread. But uh, the next tier is going to be three points. And this is uh, spreads that are between three and a half and six and a half. So this is under a touchdown game. But this is um, a little bit more of an underdog. So it's, you know, just the just the breakdown that we came up with is worth three points. And then anything, a touchdown or greater uh, greater than six and a half point spread is going to be worth five points. So those are your Dallas versus Tampa. If you wanted to pick Dallas to win, that would be worth five points if you get it right. If you get anything wrong, it's zero points, obviously. So that's the risk reward. Uh, you can go ultra aggressive on these predictions, um, but you stand a chance of getting them wrong and ending up with zero points, or you can go safer uh, better chance of getting them right, but you get lower points. So what we do is we go through the entire NFL season with this. So this first lockboard week will be for week one of the NFL. The last one will be for week 18 uh, of the NFL. Saying that right? Yeah, 17 games. Yeah, week, 18, by week. Yep, week 18 then, now. <laughs> yep, and then any t- any tiebreakers will go into the playoffs. If yeah, hopefully it's not going to happen, but... Um, but yeah, so it'll be a 18 week lockboard season. Um, and now normally last year, this is a big change. We did the draft live on the episode. Unfortunately, we have new recording schedules and that's just not really possible with this system. So we have to kind of just do it on Twitter. So we're going to do we're going to post um, the lockboard draft on Twitter. It won't be recorded in an episode, but instead each episode, we're going to take a look at the week prior. We're going to each discuss our picks on the lock board, um, why we made those picks, and then tell the result, basically, how they went. And the scoring, we'll keep the scoring tab going up all year, so we'll look at the results. Another thing about the lock board, too, that might be con- that's a little different is uh, the only, there's can only be one game per person. So Tampa Bay and Dallas, for example, only one of us can have that game and it's, it's a draft essentially. So all of these games are in a pool and we draft out of the pool. The draft order is determined by the previous week standings. Whoever finished worse, the previous week gets the best pick. They get the, their first selection. Then it goes down to the person who did the best that week. They get the last pick in the draft. We do three rounds. So there's three locks for each person. And like I said before, nobody can pick the same lock twice. So 
once a lock is gone, that's off the board. You would have yeah. to, you know, pick your next one. Right. So, and you can't, um, it's not just not picking the same lock, but like you said, with the Tampa Bay Dallas game, like if one of us, you know, let's say if I had the first pick and Zach had the second pick, and let's say I picked Dallas to be Tampa Bay, so I want that to be a five pointer. Zach can't turn around and then pick like Tampa Bay and take like a safe. Yeah, pick. that like, game. That game is gone yeah. at that point. Yep, and uh, the it's going to be all NFL games that fall in the time frame, which is basically just going to be Sunday one p.m. and four p.m. games are our time frame, and then. Uh, Call important college games, I would say, on Saturday and Sunday. Um, the college is a little bit different because we don't do every single college game. There's just way too many. Basically, we try and limit it to top 25 teams if they're playing or bubble teams that aren't in the top 25 if it's, say, two really good teams not in the top 25 playing each other. And anything 20 points or under on a spread, we don't do... You know, Alabama versus West Georgia, State Western University Carolina <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, no, we don't we don't do the 40 point spreads where it's just practice games. So um, the <laughs> otherwise, that's Indiana a free University, one Purdue University, Indianapolis. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's kind of the gist of how it works. Um, next week, we will share our first lockboard picks on the episode. But on Twitter, we will show the how the draft results go. So. That's kind of um, an explanation of the lock board for this year. Um, it'll make more sense once we start doing it, um, but that's just the rules and how how it works. And that's always going to be in the middle of episodes. So you'll hear around the shield first, like like we just did. Then you'll hear lock board, and then we're going to go around the NCAA, or depending on the week, could be any number of topics. So around the NCAA is our topic for tonight, guys, and. I figured we should start out with the elephant in the room. So, I mean, this isn't new, breaking news or anything like that. Uh, but for us, it's the first time on the podcast we've discussed college football. So um, we're going to start out with expansion. And so if you if you haven't heard, obviously, Oklahoma and Texas, those universities are leaving the Big 12 and joining the SEC um, in the year 2025. And that's just that news when that came out was breaking news for college football. It really caught everybody off guard, I think. And pretty much every conference met with its members to discuss their plans moving forward. It's basically just the next wave of realignment. Um, You're going to see a lot of different results to this transition because texas and oklahoma are two powerhouses this isn't just like you know two smaller schools moving around another conference or moving up in a more prestigious conference like this is a big shift and it's caused a ripple effect now with the big 12 um having possible expansion to byu houston cincinnati and ucf so they're looking to replace oklahoma and texas with two of those schools and then add two more on top of that. So um, there's also been like an alliance or something going on between the ACC big 10 and PAC 10 or PAC 12. So um, there's a lot going on with this guys, but I just kind of described the setting. So 
Connor, where do you stand on all this? Um, what is there any parts of this you're looking forward to? Or are you not looking forward to? Um, how how did you interpret this news? Well, I know when the news first came out, I was pretty disappointed. Um, you know, I'm not really a fan. I thought it was going to be bad for college football, honestly, especially with the way that they have the 14 playoff. You know, we already worry all these years, like, oh, are they going to take like three SEC teams in the college football playoff and whatnot? And honestly, in my mind, that was about to start becoming a reality. Like, you know, that with this four-team playoff, we were just going to have SEC teams every year and the rest of the conferences weren't even going to matter. Um, So I wasn't initially very keen on this, but now finding out that they're not going to actually do it until 2025, because that is also, you know, that's when all the media rights run out. That's also when the college football playoff current, like, media right runs out. Um, And there's been a lot of talk about changing the format of that. So... Honestly, I'm a little bit more optimistic about it now because I feel like if they can take the college football playoff and morph it into something that can accommodate like all this going on, like more teams, you know, more teams is the big thing, you know, whether it be 8, 12, 16, who knows. Um, But it's really going to be a big shift in the landscape of college football for sure. Um, I know the SEC is going to be interesting, obviously. You know, you've got two powerhouses joining, so that means more, you know, big profile games that are happening every week. Um, Because, you know, no one was really, you know, when it came to the Big 12 Conference, everyone, like, they'd want to watch Oklahoma and Texas and, like, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. But, like, then the rest of the games would pretty much be, like, Oklahoma and Kansas or, like, Texas and West Virginia. Like, you know, there's not really anything good going on there. Whereas in, in the SEC, there's a lot of good football going on every week. And this is honestly, you know really big for Oklahoma and Texas. Like they can really start to brand. I don't, I don't know, make a name, make more of a name for themselves and give themselves more of a chance to make the college football playoff. Um, Because really, you know, every single year it was, you know, if you weren't the big 12 champion, you weren't getting in like that. That was where Oklahoma and Texas were like, whichever one of them didn't win the big 12 was screwed. Like they weren't going to get in because some of the other SEC teams with better schedules, You know, even some of the other Big Ten teams that had better schedules would have gotten in over them, despite maybe having a slightly worse record. Um, So it's obviously big for them. And I'm really the thing I'm most interested for, obviously, is just like seeing where all these schools end up. I mean, because, you know, like you said, BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, UCF are all applying to the Big 12. There's been some talk that West Virginia wants to move to the ACC. You know, obviously, there's uh, Notre Dame might end up joining the ACC. and then. You know, if you get those three teams leaving the American Athletic, where does that leave the American Athletic Conference? Like, do you all of a sudden have schools like Appalachian State and, um, you know, Georgia Southern and maybe some of these other higher up schools in the Sun Belt? Because the Sun Belt's kind of like, you know, you've got the Power Five, the American Athletic, and in my opinion, the Sun Belt's probably the next best conference after that. Um, Because Boise State's a really good school, but the rest of the Mountain West is kind of weak. Um, so after that, I think the Sun Belt is where these, where the American Athletic Conference is going to look for teams. Um, and so, and it's possible that we could see a couple conferences die, like if Appalachian State and Georgia Southern and Louisiana and some of these Sun Belt teams end up going to the American Athletic Conference. You know, that's only going to leave around six or seven teams in the Sun Belt. Like, what happens to the Sun Belt Conference after that? So, I definitely think there's going to be some trimming of the conferences. Like, I definitely think. 
at least one conference, possibly two, are, are likely going to go extinct uh, when this is all done, given the fact that, you know, a lot of these conferences are getting bigger. Um, so it's just, I don't know, it's kind of the unknowing is really ex- exciting. And honestly, I'm hoping that Appalachian State can honestly get a good deal out of this because if they can find a way to move up to a more prestigious conference and all this, you know, realignment, then that's really good. Because honestly, we've been a gem stuck in a, you know, group of five conference, kind of like how UCF and Cincinnati and Boise State have been for so long. You know, it's like even when you go undefeated, you don't even have a chance, which is kind of sad. So. Um, it's just exciting. I know I'm excited for Appalachian State, um, but I know the big person that we want to get an opinion from is Nate, obviously, with UCF potentially joining the Big 12. So um, what are your thoughts on UCF going to the Big 12? Yeah, so I think that would be um, huge for the tra- to the trajectory of the program. It's been, I mean, it's kind of crazy to think that UCF as a school was only founded just over um, 50 years ago in, I think, 63. So they've gone from D3 to D2 to FCS to, I think, the MAC, and then um, ended up in the American when that was founded. So it's like, then they take the next step to go to the Big 12. It's, uh, it'll be huge for the school to keep growing that program. And I think it would make the conference really interesting. I mean, it's Obviously, they lose uh, Texas and Oklahoma, but I think by bringing in, um, I mean, the programs that they built at UCF and Cincinnati and um, even Houston to a somewhat lesser extent, um, those are doing great. I think they're competing nationally with um, less TV money right now coming in for the conferences. So they're, you know, working with less resources and less money. And I think um, if they those teams could be on the Big 12 media deal there that's i mean that'd be huge for them and i think it would probably be a really competitive conference i mean people look at it like it's a step down without uh texas and oklahoma but i think um the big 12 with those four teams on the screen there i think top to bottom is probably a better league personally just you know give it a couple years i think ucf will be right up there with uh fsu and uf in florida they're, they're already close but um it's hard to do it year in year out without that kind of uh, power five money. So I'm excited to see um, when this finally uh, does shake out. They're expected to announce, I think, the expansion uh, I, I those teams um, this week. I don't think it's going to take effect next year. I think it's when the media deal runs out in 2025. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. But um, I do think it would be uh, exciting, not, not only for UCF, but I think for the Big 12 as a whole, it kind of is like basically a whole new league. But I think one that's going to be more uh, competitive. All right. Yeah. And then before we wrap up, I'll kind of give my thoughts on this whole situation because it's, I don't know. This also too has impacts beyond football. That's another thing too, with basketball, the sec becomes a 16 team conference. You basically what play everybody once then um, in basketball. So there's lots of other, you know, other sports, have a major, you know, will be changed by this realignment as well. Um, but I think ultimately this is where I, I didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but I knew something was going to happen with the conferences. I knew it wasn't just going to stay the same the next time that they changed um, the college football playoffs. Things were going to change. Obviously, UCF had been due 
to move up to a greater conference. Same thing with App State needs to go to a more prestigious conference. So there's all these teams that are playing weaker competition that we really want to see go up to the next level. Um, And then at the same time, though, there's all these, I don't know. It's just a lot of like geographical oddities because now the Big 12 is going to potentially be stretching from Utah to Florida. You know, it's just kind of weird to see that range of a conference, I guess. Um, And then I I don't know, like, I just don't know how to feel about this. I I think it's a good thing in that we're going to see more quality matchups. Something I don't want to see go away, however, is still traditional rivalries that you have. I don't want this to only, you know, I don't want the SEC to only play at the SEC and they don't play anybody else because that, let's say the ACC, Big Ten, and Pac-12 are in like some alliance thing. I don't want to see that alliance like close their doors and you don't see Florida, Florida State, South Carolina, Clemson, those sorts of games. I don't want to see UCF, USF go away because of weird scheduling things. I don't want to see um, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State stop playing. Like, I just want to make sure that, like, those traditional, like, rivalries stay set. But I also want to see more quality games. So teams that are more on each other's level playing each other, like Oklahoma was just dominating that conference for so many years. It's going to be real interesting seeing them play now. Texas A&M, LSU, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Auburn, Tennessee, Arkansas wouldn't if they ever get good again. Like, I mean, it's just going to be <laughs> it's just going to be real interesting to see how that works. Like, because also too, these teams, uh, these conferences have their own styles of offense and defense. So that's going to be changing too when you have a bunch of new teams leaving and joining conferences. It's going to be interesting. The SEC is already shifting to more of an offensive league, producing more and more quarterbacks. And that'll help Oklahoma and Texas. They have no, yeah. they have no defense. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, they're already going to be more of an offensive league. And then when they join, when, especially with Oklahoma join, you know, that, that's going to boost that up too. So uh, it's just something real interesting to see happening. Um, I do wonder how the committee is going to, make their playoff determinations now with these mega conferences. There's still a lot of work to be done with other leagues joining and collapsing. Like I think, I think eventually we're going to get to the point where there's just going to be like maybe six conferences or something like that. And they're just going to be massive, like, you know, 16 to 20 team conferences and then in that you have subdivisions and stuff like that. But it's basically these teams have their own leagues and they play their league schedule except for a couple weeks of the season where they can play outside the league. Uh, maybe like a warm up game against like a bad team and then a traditional rivalry game or something like that. Um, so that's really the things that I'm looking forward to. But I don't really have a strong feeling either way, good or bad about this. It's something I'd. I think we just have to see how it plays out um, at the end. But I do think there are definite goods and definite bads about this. Yeah, well, I definitely agree with you, too, about the whole rivalry thing. Like, I definitely, I know that's one thing I was thinking about a little bit when I thought about, like, oh, like UCF joining the 
Big 12, I was like, oh, well, what's going to happen to the UCF-USF rivalry? Like, I definitely don't, I definitely agree with you that I don't want to see those rivalries go away. Like, especially also, I mean, like, I know if App State were to go off and join the American Athletic, you know, I don't want to see our rivalry with Georgia Southern end. Like, that's a rivalry that's been going on since Division Two. Like, those two teams have been going at it for a long time. And, you know, it's kind of like how, you know, kind of back when the um, conference realignment happened back in 2013, like, you know, Michigan and Notre Dame stopped playing every year, which was kind of odd because, you know, they were such longtime rivals. Um, and that was a traditional rivalry. You know, it'd be kind of like, you know, I know this isn't, I, I feel like for you guys, you know, this UCF-USF rivalry, you know, if that went away, it'd be kind of like if like UNC and NC State stopped playing, you know, it'd be so weird to not have that. Because it's like, you know, two teams that are in the same state, I mean, you know, they're super close to each other, yeah. and yet they're not playing every year, which is would be kind of weird, in my opinion. I mean, like, you know, I know NC State and UNC, like, they can still play every year because they have that, even though they're in different divisions, they have, that's their protected rivalry, which, you know, on a, that's what it should be. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I know some of these protected rivalries are kind of weird, like Tennessee and Alabama. Um, but like, you know, at least they got that one right with NC state and UNC. So, um, yeah, that's probably the main thing for me, I guess, with this expansion, which worries me, but you know, who knows where all these teams are going to end up. I mean, you know, cause, but like you said, you know, the problem with some of these rivalries, cause I think with like app state and Georgia Southern, they'll probably end up in the same place, whatever it is. Cause they've always yeah. kind of been on the same level, but you know, the problem is with UCF and USF, like UCF is so much better than USF right now that like, you know, there's not going to be this like, you know, USF isn't going to be getting any calls from the Big 12 anytime soon. So And, all, and also, too, like when we saw the last um, when the, we saw the last realignment, like Texas and Texas A&M, they stopped playing each other as right. well. And right. then there was there was that. So is like, Oklahoma going to stop playing Oklahoma State? You know, so right, even though they're right next to each other, like yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird, honestly. I mean, I know it's yeah. I mean, you can't have ever every rivalry that you could ever want, but it's like I really feel like at least the in-state rivalries, like those, need to stay. Like you know, like you said, Clemson, South Carolina, Florida, Florida State, like you know, maybe you don't always need something like Alabama and Tennessee. Like, obviously, yeah, they've been playing for years, but, like, they're not in the same state. And, you know, obviously Alabama and Auburn still got to play every year. But, like, you know, if we get rid of something like Alabama and Tennessee for something like, you know, UCF, USF, or Florida, Florida State, I'm all for it. I mean, <laughs> I, know yeah. Eric, I know Eric would be happy for Tennessee to stop playing Alabama all the time, but, you know, it's... It's important, and I don't know if it's really been touched upon at all. You know, we've been so focused on, like, oh, expansion that no one's really stopped to look at that. And I'm sure if you ask any, you know, obviously we're all pretty young, so, you know, we haven't been alive long enough for to really see, like, you know, large chapters of these rivalries. But, like, some of these longtime fans, like, that would be crushing to them, honestly, if all of a sudden, like, Clemson and South Carolina stopped playing. Like, you know, that would be devastating for them as a fan i think it'd be really bad for the fans i mean it was bad play. last year when they couldn't when they couldn't play because of the covid rules and they didn't want to play at a conference like that was like a big deal you know right. and then if that becomes permanent now like i can't even imagine so yeah it's it's a wild time in college uh we'll we have a lot of college topics to talk about at the start of the season so the these next couple of weeks will probably be around the ncaa 
um, talking about obviously the games going on and then also to news that comes out with the alliances and expansion news and stuff. There's going to be a lot going on playoff stuff. So playoffs. <laughs> All right, guys, so that's going to wrap this episode up uh, right about an hour. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed listening to this uh, and remember be clutch. Bye. See ya. And for Eric, peace.